Thank you, Rick, and musicians, singers, and choir. Wonderful to worship together. I love you. I need you to survive. I pray for you. You pray for me. Amen. The goodness of God. How good God is. I have eight Sundays to go, all right? So I'm going to preach on the Good Samaritan twice. Today I want to deal with the question, what does it mean to love, that I think the story of the Good Samaritan addresses. Next week I want to answer the question from the parable of Jesus, who is my neighbor? The following week I want to talk about what it means to fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay? On Graduate Sunday, I want to talk to you about running to win. Okay? So we're going to talk about what the Scripture says about being a success in the Christian life. On Mother's Day, I'm going to talk to you about I'm willing even though you love me less. All right? Then I'm going to bring two messages from 1 Corinthians 13. The most excellent way, the greatest of these, as Charles has reminded us, is love. And finally, on June 3rd, I want to talk to you from Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talks about his absence to the church at Philippi. Much more in my absence, he says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's where he says, so you can shine like stars in the universe as you hold forth the word of life. So that's the picture for the next weeks of messages. And yes, they are in a way highlights of the things God has taught me and used in my own life and also in the life of our church. So we go to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And as we make this journey, we want to remind ourselves that we are coming to a place in the Scripture that has captured a popular imagination for these 2,000 years. And the story Jesus uttered here in this passage has motivated the will and strength of millions of people. Do not underestimate what God has done in every generation since Jesus told this story in the lives of people like you and me who lived all over the earth at different times and places but found in the story of the Good Samaritan a challenge for a lifetime. And so I read it as the sacred text it is. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and 
Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And in this little statement, unleashed the flood of goodwill and work in the world that has been done in an effort to be consistent with the Good Samaritan. So if you Google Good Samaritan today, 2,000 years later, you, like almost every other place in the planet, will find a Good Samaritan ministry somewhere near you. And just across City Park, there's the Good Samaritan Rehab Center. Did you know that? Do you know what an impact it is to take this story seriously in your own life? Would you like to live? I mean, really, live? Jesus says, you do this and you will live. You will live abundantly. You will live with purpose. You will live every day. You will experience life on the highest plane if you will do this. Motivated by this teaching, largely, Crossroads was born. Fourteen years ago, that ministry was born in response to the go and do likewise of Jesus. It's a scary kind of decision to make that you're going to Seek to go and do likewise as Jesus instructed this man. It's costly. 
in my Google of Good Samaritan, I came across a WDSU news story from four months ago about Frank Williams. The headline was, Good Samaritan's Body Found in Lake. I've enjoyed a meal or two at the Blue Crab. Thanks to Michael Indest and some others. It was at the Blue Crab where a couple ran their car off the road and parking lot and into Lake Pontchartrain. And the 50-year-old grandfather and father named Frank Williams jumped in to help and drowned. And WDSU says he was the Good Samaritan whose body was found in the lake. And when you read this, you're a little bit frightened that somebody might find your body somewhere in the lake if you actually follow through with this. Because the nature of love, Jesus says in this story, is that love walks into a trial. Love walks into a trial. To actually love your neighbor is to be willing to risk. Now, you don't have to do this, of course. Nothing compels you but the teaching of Jesus and the nature of love. You can always play it safe. You can always put security, your security, above every compelling interest and compassionate impulse. You can take care of yourself first all the rest of your life. Jesus says, if you do so, you will not live like God intends for you to. For God intends for you to love your neighbor like God has loved you, which is in Christ Jesus, who did what? He laid down his life and his body was found nailed to a cross. The premier good Samaritan who reached out to help with no need of his own but laid down his life for you says to you this is how I want you to love I want you to love this way because this is how you find life in this world and this is what your journey involves and how you can live it at the highest plane love walks into a trial now there was a priest that came by and he just didn't want to risk it you know, it's too risky. I mean, it's a canyon. The mountains are there. Robbers are known to occupy this place. 19 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho, you drop 3,000 feet to somewhere like eight or 900 feet below sea level. They know people are vulnerable. Who knows the situation? All the questions that come to your mind about why would a man stop and help somebody who's wounded by the road. All those questions come to the mind of the priest and the Levite and also the Samaritan. Everybody asks those questions. You think you are alone asking sensible questions when somebody is in trouble. Should I really get involved? Do I want to get involved in this? 
I think about our, our foster care parents who just walk into the trial of a child's life who's been hurt, abused, abandoned, neglected. And they say, I'll do this. And Jesus says, that's what love is. That's what, that's what love is like. Love walks into a trial. What does it mean to love your neighbor? This is what it means to love your neighbor. There is a zone of protection on the other side of the road that you can stay in all your life. There is a zone of comfort where you take no risks and you can stay in that path all your life. You can always walk by on the other side of the road. But Jesus says the one who really lives loves his neighbor like this. It's complicated, isn't it? Loving somebody, stopping to help. You heard about the fellow who came across a man that was wounded in the warehouse district. And he knelt over him. He got his cell phone. He called 911. He said, hey, I'm down here in the warehouse district. There's this man that's wounded. I need somebody to come quick. The operator says, well, where are you? And he says, I'm down here on Chapatulas. There's this pause. The operator says, so. Can you spell that? There's another pause. The man says, give me five minutes. I'm going to drag him over to canal. <laughs> Who would ever thought that stopping to help a guy down the warehouse district mean you'd have to learn to spell Chapatulis? <laughs> but that's what love is like. And sometimes we look at it and we say, that's a sticky wicket. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go there or not. Love walks into a trial. And love pours the healing vial, V-I-A-L. And I like the word vial because it rhymes with the other two points, all right? A vial is a small flask. And the Samaritan had it on him. And he poured into the man's wounds oil and wine. Wine to purify the wound and oil to soothe the pain. Love pours the healing vial. We march into the world sometimes and into people's lives ready to do the thing that we do the best. But that's not what they need. It's not what they need. What does this man by the side of the road need? He needs somebody to take care of his wounds and get him some help. That's what he needs. Would he enjoy a good sermon right now? Probably not. So Jesus puts no words in the mouth of the good Samaritan for the man in the ditch. Jesus says, the man stops 
sees that he's wounded, and he takes care of his need. And so you will discover in your life of loving neighbors that the way you love them most effectively is to see the need and meet it. And brothers and sisters, listen. You must meet that need without any hidden agenda. Okay? Because if you have a hidden agenda, you will undercut the authenticity of your love. If I stop to help the man, and I insist that he become a Christian like me, or I will cease to help him. I am viewed by the world as a proselyter. And my love comes at the expense of him conforming his life to mine. We often say, God loves you just like you are. Do you think that's true? God loves you. God loves sinners. God loves thieves, prostitutes. God loves people. He loves greedy people, lustful people, like us. God demonstrated his love for us. He demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We talk about unconditional love. Don't turn your love into a parley for something that you need from the neighbor who is hurting. Give your love freely at the point of need. Bandage the wounds care for the hurts and your love will be seen for what it is a love that is akin to the love of God a love that is given not because you have a need but because you see a need that kind of love is powerful the kind of love that has no condition is a powerful force in the world. And Jesus says in this parable, this is the kind of love you need. Not, not the sort of love that says, I love my neighbor, but I'm in a hurry, so I'm going by on the other side of the road. Not the love that sees the guy, but gosh, you got your own agenda, and so you hurry along. See, there's an intention in the Good Samaritan's action that must be there for it to be real love. You can tell me, sure, I love my neighbor all day. Does your neighbor know you love him? Would he say you love him? I mean, we have these good intentions, all right? 
But the parable here, the story here, is about action. It's not just intentions. It's, it's not just, oh, the poor fella, I feel compassion for him. It's turning aside and stopping to help and messing up your busy day by demonstrating love to somebody in need. It's about you getting off your path so you can help somebody else in their path. That's what love is. And it's expensive and costly. And it's addressed to the point of their need. We want it to be convenient. But it's not. It wasn't convenient to the good Samaritan. Who took all this time to minister to this man in need. And spent the night caring for him. You see, love walks into a trial and love pours the healing vial. And love goes the second mile. Love goes the second mile. Love doesn't give up quick. Love doesn't keep a record of how many times I've helped. Love doesn't say, it's your turn now. There's something about love that surpasses all the statistical expectations that are in a relationship. So love endures and prevails and continues and has a determination to provide and give even though it's not my turn anymore. (laughs) It's your turn now. There's a marvelous generosity in the love that Jesus describes of the Good Samaritan. And it distinguishes the love of God from all the other loves in the world. I mean, the astonishing thing is that God loves us. Don't you ever get to the point, maybe you do it every day, where you think, How can God still love me? What a mess I am. I mean, does God really still love you? After all the mess-ups in your life and the disappointments and the hurts and the failures and the moral mistakes that have been made, does God really still love you? And, and when you answer yes, you, you say yes, but it's, it's amazing, it's indescribable that God still loves me after all the mess I've made. That's the nature, the generous nature of God's enduring loving kindness. It's, it's better than life. It goes past all of our expectations. He loves us to the dying point. And so he says, I want you to love one another like this. Love like this. This is what it means to love. Every time you step into that circle, you can expect there's a second mile coming. I was somewhere in these aisles when a deacon came and said, there's a lady in the lobby that wants to talk to you. It was right after Hurricane Katrina, and everybody wanted to talk to me about something that they needed. And I paused for a moment in the, in the aisle, 
leaned against the pew and thought, Lord, another one. And gathered my wits and said, okay. And followed him to the lobby where he introduced me to this little blonde lady about this tall. Back there against the glass. I shook her tiny hand and she said her name was Annie. And when she said it, I heard something in her words. She was weak. But a refinement there. She had all these goods piled into an old car in the parking lot. And she needed a place to stay that night. I called the mission and they said, Annie, uh uh-uh. She wore out her welcome here. So we put her up in a hotel for the night. And she started to come. She came back to church. And every time she came, somebody else jumped in to help. We thought she was destitute. She'd been sleeping in her car. One day she said, can somebody help me clean my flooded house? We said, Annie's got a house? Who would have thought it? And so Joyce Harrington and Bob Bryan deployed with a team down to a house in Lakeview and started cleaning up Annie's house. It was a fourplex, they said. And when they got to the second floor, they found that she'd been living there without electricity or water or gas. When it wasn't too cold and it wasn't too hot, Annie lived in her flooded house. Joyce told me she washed a dozen loads of clothes. (laughs) Do you remember Joyce? And while they were there, they found these signs. And Bob Bryan came back to the church and he brought this big old sign in. He says, guess what we found in Annie's house? I said, what? A sign that says, Ann Thompson for governor. I said, that's not Annie. He said, yeah, it is. It's Annie. It turns out that the little lady who'd been living in her car, living in her flooded house, and living at the mission had once been a candidate for governor of Louisiana and also for the Senate. That she'd earned a Ph.D., And taught in our universities here. And that when the flood came, it scrambled her life and scrambled her brain. And she couldn't think anymore from A to B. And she ended up here. She fell in this aisle right back here one day at church. And a physician ran over to help her. We found out she had a doctor's appointment. And Madeline, where are you? Madeline went with her to her doctor's appointment and that's when we found out that Annie had cancer and that it was terminal. And so we took Annie and we moved her into an apartment over on St. John Bayou on the sixth floor and we put her hospital bed right next to the window where she could look out and see the beautiful scenery. 
And that's where she died, in that bed. And we had her funeral in 112. About 20 people came, most of them new friends from this family of faith. When I first met Annie, I thought to myself, I don't want to do this. But I'd been preaching the Good Samaritan. You think God would let me stay out of that problem and out of that life? I thought, no. Before I shook her hand, I realized she's my neighbor and I got to help. No matter how complicated it is or risks that we're taking, no matter what the need is or how long the second mile will go, God's given us an assignment and we got to carry it forward. I read the Good Samaritan story and I think, who lives like this? Don't you? I mean, who can stop and help a fellow who's beaten up and would, considering all the complexities of that? And, and then who's going to take him to the inn in his car? And who's going to put him up for the night and actually stay the night with him and tend his wounds? And who's going to leave money with an innkeeper to take care of any other expenses and then promise the innkeeper, I'm coming back this way. And when I come back, whatever expenses you had, I'll pay them. Who does that? I thought to myself, nobody in the world does that. And then I thought, oh no. I do know somebody who loves like that. His name is Jesus and he found me in the ditch one day unable to help myself and extended to me a mercy that I did not deserve and carried me from the place where I was broken wounded and hurting to a place of help and wholeness Forgiveness and grace. I was a little disappointed to learn that identifying Jesus with the Good Samaritan was not original with me. It, it actually happened as I studied the text and I thought, wow, this, is, this really is great. I was talking to a, the Orthodox priest, Evan, who's become a friend of mine, up in Minnesota. And he said, yeah, you know, I studied the iconography of the church. And back in the 4th century, when you see the picture of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan is Jesus. So I'm 1,700 years late with my discovery, all right? But it's okay. Because it's the truth, isn't it? When Jesus says, go and do likewise, he's, going, he's saying, go and do what I have done for you, what I will do for you. I'm going to care for you. My pilgrimage with the Good Samaritan began when I was about nine years old. And a missionary came to our church, that little building I visited in Holly, Minnesota. 
and he taught us a song on the other side of the road the sick and wounded lie they're calling for help and for mercy oh how can you pass them by the Savior asks your love in the service of want and pain and anything more that thou spendest he'll pay when he comes again bow with me please as we bow our heads every man wounded by the side of the road needs to be willing to be helped I just wonder if there's someone here who has yet to allow the Savior to help them I pray for you Lord we have a sense that we are the man in the ditch at least at one time in our life that's us thank you that in your grace you stop to help to render aid to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and in so doing you changed our lives thank you Lord Lord we confess this go and do likewise this final instruction of yours it troubles us God and Lord we have feet of clay we stumble a lot but God I pray that you will help us see how much of life our life the joy the peace the grace all the wonderful virtue of life is found in following you in this care for the hurting so teach us God how to love our neighbor as ourself in Jesus name Amen